another episode of not your average operator with me paul mellon mcfadden oh it's been a big week lockdown on the world it's always a pleasure to have you guys stop in and you know listen to us chew the fat and we appreciate all the feedback we get how are you going this week mike well if you saw before the show i was having a pretty good time so i slept in today it's sunday and i don't know man I think I had one too many coffees because I just felt like rocking out. So uh, I was cleaning up my place a bit, told, uh, told Alexa to start uh, getting after some stuff and play some rock music. And I was, as you saw, dancing around. I, I, brought, I busted out the Australian flag for you guys. And uh, <laughs> yeah, man, I got the bandana on. Brett Michaels returns. Boom. And you got your Fizbo, got Fizbo the Clown t-shirt on. Yeah. So yeah, this is actually really soft. So when I was in Kansas a couple of weeks ago, I, I shared that we went shooting and stuff with a couple of my buddies. Uh, this guy's name's Eric Stone Street. Uh, anybody that doesn't know, he's on the show Modern Family and uh, he plays one of the gay couples. But in real life, he's not gay. He's actually a huge gun guy and he's got an amazing fiance uh, and he's a huge supporter of military and police, FBI, like everybody. And uh, he does tons of stuff in and around Kansas City for first responders and military and, and everything like that. So I got to meet him and uh, I, I've been just talking with him here and there about topics. And he's very interested in how he can help support uh, service members, first responders, police, everybody. Um, he has them come up to his property. He owns like 400 acres and he has them come out with their families to shoot or spend time around the fire and stuff. He's a really, really cool guy. Um, and he sent me these shirts, these Fizbo shirts. He, it's like this clown on the show that he does. And he sent me a few of them. So it was pretty nice of him. But uh, one of the other things, and my life is almost complete. Like, I don't want to die yet, but if this happens, I can die a happy man. He works <laughs> with he works with Ed O'Neill, right, who is also Al Bundy. So I sent him a picture of from, me. In from, married with, from Married with Children. From Married with Children. So I have a Polk High jersey that says number 33, which was Al's number, you know, from the show. And I sent him a picture for it on my 33rd birthday. And I was holding a football like Ed O'Neill and like replicated the picture of him with the trophy, you know. And uh, I sent it to him and I showed him. And he goes, he goes, dude, this is funny as hell. I'll send it to Ed. So Al Bundy knows who I am now. And like, if I get to meet him, then you can kill me. Like, totally fine. Just let me die. I have a picture he signed. Like, I don't. I don't fanboy anybody, but if I got to meet Al Bundy, I would be a happy man. Everybody should know that Mike absolutely loves that TV show. He can quote it. He knows the full episode rundown, what was going on there. That'd be pretty cool, man. And how about you, Raph? How you going, man? I'm good, man. I'm just over here listening to Mike's stories. I can't name drop. I've just been hanging out with regular ass people um, and it's been good. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, just before we got on the show we were talking about just how crazy the weather patterns have been especially out here in Spokane like literally we've had a week and a half of sunshine and so we've kind of kind of gone accustomed to that and now it's literally just snowing like I'm looking out my window and it's just like the visibility dropped to like like half a mile and it just 
just crazy, man. Like, I, I guess we're going to get a wet, a wet uh, spring. So it is what it is. But anyways. It's warming up. Just, it's warming up here pretty good now. Like we're almost cracked 100 the other day. And we're, we're all looking forward in a couple of weeks. I was just telling you guys, uh, we're off to Australia. So we're going to be going home and seeing the family in April. We're all super excited. Everyone was pumped that uh, Mike came out with his Australia flag over his back for us earlier. <laughs> I did, man. <laughs> I was feeling good. I was Literally impromptu Australian Australian national anthem got sung by the by the kids and they know all the words, which is essential. I thought it was a great way to start off uh, a wonderful Sunday here, and I know it's evening out there for you, but yeah, I was just feeling it, and I was like, man, I got this, you know. So when Melon visited me, they they got me a beach towel that's the Australian flag, and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna just play the australian national anthem i'm gonna bust out this flag i grabbed my uh i have a training m4 which is a rifle and i brought out the sling and put it around like it was a guitar and was just rocking out with my brett michaels headband and having a good time and i i had the whole family singing raf was shaking some maracas i don't know if the maracas are part of the national anthem there but it is now that's the raf piece so uh yeah it's a good way to start man cheers it is a good way to start and I know last week we, we we did our episodes on authenticity and and inauthenticity the the cost and the benefit of you know being your true self and, and you know bringing that real you with all your values and so on to the situation and that's obviously prompted some thought for you there Mike and why don't you introduce the topic for this week yeah so the opposite you know talking about being authentic you're being your true self. <clears throat> This week, we're going to talk about conforming, uh, what that means, why we do it, and then what could be some results from conforming, right? There's, there's, there's some good and bad, and, and I think we'll get into it for the most part. So the main thing about conforming is people conform to group pressure, all right, in this situation is like they, they want to do two things. One, they have the desire to have an accurate perception of a real of a reality, not the reality, but a reality. Okay. So whether that's in a workplace or anything else, it's like they want to have an accurate, like what's going on here. Okay, I see it. I'll do it. They they want to be on the in. All right. It's a good way to put it. And then this is common for everybody. You want to, your desire is to be accepted by others, right? You want people to like you. You don't want people to hate you. You know, you don't want to go out and just be the asshole like Raph. You know, it's, there, that's two main reasons. <clears throat> now, you, we got to get into there and ask about why we do these things. Is it right for us to do? Are we being authentic? And if the answer is no, do you still want to conform or do you make the decision to break away and try somewhere else? Um, personally, for me, what brought this up is I listened to some other podcasts uh, when I was at the gym the other night, I was listening to uh, Dan Bongino, former Secret Service guy, uh, and he talks a lot about a lot about politics, but he gets into some other things. And there's just he talks about people conforming, you know, like one thing will be wrong for one party, but if your party does it, then everybody's like, oh well, yeah, that's fine. Like they're not wrong for doing that. It's just like, hey, call a spade a spade. If somebody walks up and punches an old person in the face. No matter where you look at it, that's that's not right. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, man, woman, like whatever. It's just like, dude, call it call a spade a spade. It's wrong. Yeah. Uh, and then also what you could call that is when people do that is blind loyalty. 
So you, you, you don't ask questions. You, you don't speak up and you're like, hey, are we doing the right thing? Hey, isn't this what the other person did and you're doing the same damn thing? Like, this isn't right, you know? You just shut up and conform and, you know, it's blind loyalty. And that can be very dangerous. Uh, it basically run you right off the cliff. If, you, if your eyes wide shut and you're just flying, somebody could take you right off the cliff and you don't even know it. You just, <clears throat> you just blindly trust them, so... Um, yeah, that's kind of like what popped up. And I think we can get into some results and some examples, maybe professional, personal, and, uh, see what we can pull out of it. Cause the, uh, the phrase or the word conform is obviously the word form is shape and con means with or together. So the, the definition is to adopt the form of those around you, you know, so like clothing can conform to your body. You can have water conforming to the shape of the terrain as it's running downhill we can have people and their behavior conforming to the group. And I know there's plenty of plenty of stuff in the military that's positive around conforming. And, and in any group, you want to have alignment, you want to have uniformity of vision and, and behavior and stuff. And you, you're going to need that to a certain extent. And then it can, it can become a, a negative thing, right? Like I, I, that was an interesting point you made there about, you know, you might identify behavior that, you know, you see CCTV footage or something and you then tell people, well, that's someone from your group who just hit that old man or that was someone from the opposition group who hit that old man and you might view it differently. And I'd, that's probably a truth about humanity, right? Like it's not necessarily a good thing to, to have that influence where you, just because that's a person on my team, now that behavior is okay or it's on the other team, the behavior is bad. It should be, there should be some sense of independent decision-making this should be some sort of absolute absolutism rather than all relativism, right? Yeah. And, and a, a light good example that first came to mind when I was thinking about this is football or sports in general, right? So you're watching the game, everything's going great. And the other team gets a penalty and you're like, yeah, dude. Yeah. 15 yard penalty. They're going back. And, and the other team's going, that's, that's, that's bullshit. That, there was no holding, there was no interference, there was nothing. And you're just like, deal with it, suck it, you know, like whatever. And you're getting into it. And then somebody on your team does it. And then you're like, no, no, that was, that was totally legal. Totally legal. No, no, no. Everything's fine. Why? Because you're benefiting from it. You're, you're considered, you know, in a winning position at that point. Does that still make it right? Does it take away from the game? Does it take away from the rules and the security of it? You know, like, are you losing respect for the game because there's so many lopsided calls and you know what I mean? Like, that's the first example that came to me when I was thinking about as sports, you know? I mean, it's a, it's a difficult one, right? Because you, it's very, very hard for anyone to see something purely objectively. Like self-interest comes up. And as you're saying, you know, you see someone in the same color jersey you're wearing doing something and you're like, yeah, that's really great regardless of sort of what they're doing. I'm just back from uh, rugby training with the kids. I had a, an extra session on a Sunday night and we went through the rugby values and one of them is integrity. And I asked this group of like, you know, six and eight year olds, what does integrity mean? And one of the kids said, it's doing the right thing even when you know no one's watching. And I was like, man, that's like straight out of the textbook, right? Like to do the right thing when no one's watching. And it can be a bit of fun and banter and, you know, it's good sledging a, a football game, a rugby game, you know, and you sort of get the passion going and you know, it, it's not life or death stuff. 
but there can be a dark side of conforming where you're in a situation where you may be compromising your morals or you're, you're making a decision or you're doing something that you, you know, you're doing the wrong thing. You're not doing the right thing when no one's watching. And I think that's more the heart of what you're talking about here, isn't it, Mike? Yeah, of course. And the other thing too is when people use that as uh, as a weapon, all right? So an example, again, I'll keep it within sports, right? I'm keeping a light this week. Um, you know, like Tom Brady, everybody knows Tom Brady. I watched the guy do it repeatedly. Uh, he'd get to a point in the game, he'd get to like the 40 or the 50 yard line and they're playing tight coverage and he would just bomb it down the sideline in a tight window. They weren't playing for the catch. The wide receiver wasn't playing to catch the ball. He was playing for the penalty and he acts like he gets tripped up, interference and falls. So they get the flag and can have a first down. Like the wide receiver is a great actor, right? And he's going out to it. Is, is that a way to win? Yes. And like in war, I will bend the rules within reason to freaking win because it's my life. For a game, when you're sitting there watching it, you're like, dude, he played it for the penalty. Like the, the DB had him all day, lockdown coverage. And like, it was so obvious, like what they're doing, right? So they're playing to the extent, but, and then they get up and they're acting like, oh, we're the best players ever. It's like, no, dude, you got beat and you won by a stupid penalty, you know? But if the other team does it, then it's a big deal. Like, I hate that shit. That's why I don't watch basketball. Cause like you get these dudes that talk so much shit and then they flop to get the penalty. It's like, actually, you just got owned. The dude outperformed you and beat you. So what do you do in response? You flop to get a penalty. And then it's like, oh, well, this is okay. Like, God, dude. The, the, God. Sport, the sport we can all turn on for this is obviously soccer or football, as the Europeans call it, you know. And it's honestly, the really, really good goal scorers are, are really, really good at cheating. They're really good at, you know, falling over and going down quicker than a $2 hooker, as I say. And like, there's been some entertaining commentary by like referees on in rugby. Now they've got mics on the referee and there's a famous ref. He just retired. He's the most, most number of international guys. Nigel Owens is his name. He's a Welsh referee. And he famously, like there was a guy running for a ball and someone pulled his jersey just a little bit and he took a step and then fell over backwards. And he came, he came up to him and said, if you do that again, it's going to be an immediate yellow card. You're going to be off the pitch. And the guy's like, holy shit. You know, like, I've never even heard of that as a penalty. I don't think it's in a penalty in the, in the book. And there's another one where they were playing in England during the World Cup and it was, they were playing at a soccer stadium and a guy sort of half dived a bit and Nigel Lyons went up to him and said, if you do that again, you'll be back here playing in two weeks. And that was after the World Cup when the soccer was back on. And it's like, man, that's some pretty heavy sledging and it's just unacceptable in rugby to do that. And it turns the stomach, right? It, it but you'll does. see these elite sportsmen, there's millions of dollars on the line and they know if they trip. But, I mean, we're keeping it light at the moment, but there's a, a dark side, right? Sorry, Raf, you're going to jump in. Yeah, I was just going to say, and I'm not trying to play devil's advocate, but um, just to listen to do you guys talk about this, you know, over sports. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take it to the dark side. And I think it's important for the listeners and just us having this discussion that, you know, it's not like, it's not like we're choosing uh, for this conformity. Like, I think people need to really truly understand that this conformity comes from years of evolution. I mean, we're talking 10,000 years where if you didn't 
if you didn't um, kind of have a cohesion with your group, with your village, you weren't going to survive. So it started off as like a, a means of survival, you know, this, this innate ability to just kind of be part of a group and then kind of carry the banner and do whatever it is that the group consensus thinks it should do. Um, and unfortunately, like we said, it does take a dark turn, right? Because we've seen tons of examples. Like there's one currently happening, Russia invading Ukraine. I mean, one sovereign country invading another. And you have to wonder, what are the Russian troops thinking? Like, I think that all the time. They're shelling towns. They're, like they, they shelled a, a maternity ward. Um, they're, they're just doing these atrocities on the behest of, you know, their leader, Putin, who is trying to, uh, I guess, rebuild the Russian glory. What, whatever the reason, the point is there are some atrocities being done on the name of this agenda. And so there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of soldiers and, and people that are. And, and the reason I bring this up and the reason I think this is really important is because, you know, if you listen to enough political banter about regarding this, you come to find out that you know, uh, Ukraine and Russia are literally the same, slightly different cultures, but they're literally the same people. You know, they speak a very similar language. There's brother, they're, you know, there's brothers and cousins and sisters and aunts and mothers that live on both sides of the uh, end of the, of, of, uh, of the border. And, and even knowing all this, there's still, there's this invasion going on. So uh, I'm just saying, we really have to stop and think of how powerful this force is, this, this, innate desire as a human being to be part of this group and like you know uh offline we were talking about there's a book that came out and it's called code over uh what was it called code over country and it was a podcast i was listening to and it's basically how you know elements of seal team six kind of took a dark turn but the book really covers on why it happens not not that they were chastising the group for doing it. it's just kind of like look man it's just it's it's in our reptilian brain where you know it's it's evolved over ten thousand years of wanting to belong because at first it was part of survival and then once you're part of the group you're like hey I'm part of the group I'm excited to be here well, what do I have to do to carry this banner forward and it only takes one person that to be persuasive enough to be like hey let's do this slight like uh, Melon what do you call it standard deviation or the yeah normalized the normal deviation deviation. yeah normalized deviation starts becoming the norm and before you know it, you're completely away from the culture that you joined and now you're part of your own subculture we're just making these you know again the dark side is these atrocities and that's that's really why this conversation to me is important because it you have to understand that you're wired to be part of a part of something like that so you have to have the foresight and the intellectual muscle to stop yourself and be like holy hell what's happening in front of me isn't right and I need to say something, but now you're, you're, now you're tapping into other things. Now you're running the risk of being ostracized by the group that you cherish and you want to be a part of. That's one way to look at it. Um, so you have to, in a way, kind of not give a shit and be like, look, if this costs my, my membership, then so be it. I guess I'll walk away. I'm not, I can't identify, you know? Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. And these are all good points. And I wrote down some notes and you're, I mean, you're hitting them. So I'll just bring them up right now. Like, what are, what are some of the negative results and different things that can happen and, and why do people do it? Um, you know, so as you talked about, these can result in illegal behavior. So whether it's like, well, Hey, everybody else is drinking. So I drank, you know, and you're underage or something else, or you're supposed to be driving. You did it. Um, the bystander effect, right? That's, that's pretty much what you're talking about is everybody's around and you're having, you're failing to act when you know, an action should take, take place. So an example, you're out in public and you see somebody just full on beating their wife, right? Just right out in the middle of a parking lot or something. And this dude's just wailing on her, right? 
it, it's really messed up and you see it all the time. What do people do these days? They pull out their phone and they stand there and record it. Look, look how terrible this is. Oh my God, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, get your ass over there and jump on the dude and save the, the, the woman that he's just wailing on, you know, like, it, like it's terrible. And when you ask people, why didn't you do anything? There's usually like two similar responses. I thought someone else would do it, right? Hey, I wasn't going to do it. I thought somebody else was going to jump in and take care of it, not me. And then I didn't want the attention. You know, dude, it's, it's not about attention. It's about doing the right thing. You know, like I said, if I ever saw somebody, a, a child or a woman or anything, or even like an innocent man getting, getting his ass kicked, you know, like if I just walked up and somebody like a gang just starts beating the crap out of this dude and robbing him, I'm going to go help him. Like, that's just the common thing. You know, I mean, I got a SIG 365 right here with me now and I could, I can influence him with that a little bit, but like, I'm going to freaking go help him. It's just the right thing to do. I don't need anybody to tell me, Hey, yeah, you can go do that. Like, no, man. Go ahead, and there's, I mean, there's some some of the stuff that Raf's talking about with that wiring and the way we're way we're hooked up. Like they've done studies on, you know, how long it's going to take for someone on the side of the road to get assistance, and they do it like on a highway where there's hundreds of cars going past every every couple of minutes, and on a country rural road where there's like a couple a day. And sure as shit, people stop earlier they get assisted earlier on the country road with hardly any cars and it's that bystander effect if someone else is going to do it there'll be someone else who's hit like you know i don't know how to do it it's a bit of a bit of a risk but there's also that sense that other people aren't stopping either and so that's like a that's all of these things are pointing to a similar thing where there's that desire to fit in with a group and it takes it takes something special to have the moral fiber yourself to stick with your own values when there's a drift or when there's something bad going down. I mean, you've talked here about illegal behavior. I had, um, I mean, the Australian SAS at the moment, the Australian Special Forces uh, Infantry or Army Special Forces are going, still going through a really long drawn out investigation into, into alleged war crimes in Afghanistan. There's, when that deviation goes far and you've got a very, very strong um, cohesion, strong unit cohesion, people really conform to the unit values. If those unit values drift in a negative way, it can take the whole unit. And these, these kind of things, it, you can have false equivalents, which is where you're like, everyone's doing it or the enemy are doing it. So we need to do it too. And it, like, it becomes a race to the bottom. And the only thing we have is the moral high ground. And when you lose the moral high ground, you've, you've lost all of the reasons for entering in a conflict. You've lost all the reasons for joining a defense force to defend a society because those values are what you're there for. And when you lose sight of them, there's, it's a grim road. And how do you come back from that point when both sides in a conflict are committing atrocities on each other? I mean, for me, there was a real turning point in the 0304 war in Abu Ghraib, the prison where uh, <clears throat> a lot of the Al-Qaeda soldiers and the uh, Iraqi soldiers were being kept. And I, I heard about it at the start and I thought, if I was the one in charge, you'd need to put a super strong officer in charge of the PW camp for Al-Qaeda and 
their enemy in this situation because there's been such an inflamed period. There's been attack on the US heartland. It's such a strong issue. And you're going to have to have someone in there who's superb leadership and you're going to have to have superb mid-ranking officers and senior NCOs to keep it super clean because the only thing that could possibly happen is you lose moral high ground. And if you lose them all high ground, it's not just in an isolated case, it's going to be all around the world. And this is the world we live in with smartphones and everyone's taking photos of everything and digital footage will come up. And when that stuff came out, I just, I couldn't believe the situation that had been allowed to unfold. When you think this is the only thing we have, the only thing we have in the West is moral high ground. We're going in to liberate people. We're going in in a righteous war, for example, with Kuwait, we're going in unlike a war of conquest, which we're seeing from Russia right now, where there's no no actual reason. There's not aircraft didn't fly into a building. There hasn't been an attack. And you end up, you know, how are you going to be judged by history? And it's a very, very difficult thing to do when you think about, even just with your friends as teenagers, when they're doing something stupid, how hard it is to not go along with that group. So it's... It's something very difficult. And I know in the Australian Army and Air Force, we got, we got quite a lot of training, normally by the Padres. They'd, they'd run courses and stuff where you're doing your, your boot camp and, and so on, trying to brief you on where the Geneva Convention came from and why we have these things, why there's a law of armed conflict. Like it's a strange thing to think that war is regulated. And yet when things get too far from the center and there's just atrocities occurring, like Imperial Japan and Nazi Germany, like those societies end up being destroyed by everyone around them. Like there's no vestige of Nazi Germany left and Imperial Japan. And if there's a hint of someone in Japan leadership wise, maybe visiting those Shinto shrines where the, the generals were buried, like there's mass protests in South Korea. For example, I remember a thousand people cut a finger off in a square protesting the prime minister who visited because it is just, so far outside acceptable behavior. And this is the response that's going to occur now with Ukraine and Russia. Like the Ukrainians are going to have such a deep-seated righteous anger and hatred for Russia. It's going to take 100 years for this to be. There's no, how can there be peace now when you shelter a maternity hospital? You've got pregnant women giving birth, covered in blood, and the windows have been blown in. You just... I mean, it's a, it's a difficult road to walk and peer pressure is strong and we want to join in and we want to be with our mates and so on. And, you know, it, it, it's hard. It's a hard road. And if I could just uh, kind of flip it, because we've talked about the dark side of conformity, but there's also the good side of conformity, right? If you think the last, you know, 50 or 60 or 50 or 60 years, uh, at least in the United States, you know, where we've destroyed barriers that were keeping, you know, uh, black people, colored people, indigenous people from su succeeding in school and, and businesses by it's or in the military, allowing women to to fly and to fill, you know, combat roles or whatever roles um, that slowly happened. And that was because eventually the military or people in uniform allowed themselves to conform to, to that culture, right? They're like, hey, listen, we should let women be fighter pilots. We should let women, um, if they can meet the standard, you know, maybe join the special operations. I mean, we know they've been doing it for years. I mean, the Israelis have used women for a long time and they've been very effective. Um, 
they just don't make a big uh, thing about it. Um, but the point is, the, with conformity, because again, it's such a strong influence and a force, and because it's ingrained in our reptilian brain, it, it's, we're, we're all going to be affected by it. No one, no one is able to escape it. So the best you can do is understand that, you, that you're being influenced by whatever group, subgroup that you're part of. Um, but it can also be used for good, right? Like there's companies that, that um, I, I worked for Costco years ago before I, I joined the military. Um, and I can honestly say it was one of the best corporate cultures I've ever been a part of. I was really impressed with how Costco treats their people and how all store uh, general managers come from the inside, meaning like you can start off pushing carts and, you know, 15 years down the road, you can have your own store. Um, I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. And so they have this really, really um, diehard loyalty within inside Costco. Uh, and again, they just treat their people very fairly. And so it was really easy to conform to that culture, right? Because it's like you knew that they were just going to treat you well. Um, and so there's also the good side of that. You know, we abolish slavery by conforming, which is fucking one of the best things we could ever do for humanity. Um, you know, we've ostracized and we've blacklisted pedophilia, but dude, for centuries, that was common, common behavior. I mean, literally the Greeks were doing it. I mean, every civilized society back in the, you know, BC and shortly after the birth of Christ, you know, pedophilia was rampant across our, our society. And then finally, I think culture started realizing like, hey man, we're damaging our kids and we need to call for what this is, which is an evil, you know, um, act by, by, by human beings, usually men. But anyways, the point I'm trying to make is conforming can also be good. Like you can be part of a group that's, that you're conforming to, that you're helping push the banner for, but you're doing amazing things. Maybe you're part of a, trist, a Christian or just any religious Jewish uh, Muslim organization that's doing good things for people around the world that need help. Like, so conformity isn't just a bad thing. We, but when we think about it, we think of, you know, atrocities usually that are happening because of it under the guise of, of that. Yeah, man. Raph, I really like how you brought up history and kind of how what was accepted back then and then how it kind of evolved. You know, uh, you, you look at the modern day superpowers in the West and how we are in our cultures. Most people think like, hey, the Western world and is, this is the way it is for the rest of the time on Earth. If you look at history, I don't think it's going to be. And just being blatantly honest, I think one day the United States will fall. I don't know when, but I, you know, because what tells me that is human history. You look back at the Romans who ruled for a thousand years, the Persians, the Greeks, like all of these great, I mean, are you telling me that Rome, the Romans didn't think that they would rule the history of, you know, the future history of the earth for the rest of time with how long they were in power and everything they did. If you look at very specific actions, there was a lot of conformity for good at the beginning but then in the second half of the millennium, they started conforming for the wrong things, got overspread out. Their politics were bad. Their social structures were bad. Their military ended up like, well, I'm not dying for this. Like they didn't care. They didn't stand for it. So they stopped conforming to the vision that was Rome. And ultimately what happened? They got overspread. They lost a sense of themselves. Patriotism didn't exist. And the barbarians were just like, now's the time. Now's the time to strike. And they rolled through and Rome burned, you know, and the, and the, the Roman Empire fell. Do I think that's going to happen in the United States one day? I do. You know, I think it will happen. All, like the entire world will change probably 50 times, 100 times again before the earth 
blows up or the sun goes out or whatever, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, I think it's human, it's human nature to conform and things evolve and things change. So, uh, you know, I just, history tells us that. And, and I, I really like looking back and just being like, yeah, it's right there, man. And what's this, what's the sentence? Those who don't look at history are doomed to repeat it or learn from history or doomed to repeat it. That's human nature. And I'm not saying that what you just put out isn't, you know, important to understand. I think it is. I'm not really worried that the United States is going to cease to be a superpower. That's the least of my worries. I think, like you said, any republic will rise and it'll fall. And how catastrophic is it going to be? Who knows? And we've got stupid inflation. You know, we have just poor leadership at the, at the moment. Uh, we've had it for some, for some time. So I'm not really worried about the status of the United States. I think I'm more concerned with like the individual going through life every day, because I think if, if enough of us start kind of um, impacting our immediate circles, where we're like, hey, man, just be vigilant and understand that you can succumb to these forces, these innate forces that are in your reptilian brain to conform and allow atrocities to happen. Um, I think that's the important conversation piece, at least for me. It's like, I'm not worried about the status of the government or our, our country as a whole. I think that we could do a lot more by in by individual circles, small family circles, where we where we can impact that. And we and I can teach Soren to be vigilant, and maybe if he sees something happen that he knows is bad, like hey, you might get your ass kicked, Soren, but I need you to stand up. I need you to stand up and say, hey, that's not right, because um, it maybe just saying it might be enough to stop whatever it is that's happening, right? And I think that's the important piece. Like I'm not worried about nations and governments. I'm worried about the individual because that's where we live 99% of our lives, right? We live in these little small enclaves or these little villages, although we're spread out now. And that's where, that's where you rise and fall. And you know, that's what, do I get upset about politics? Of course I do. But at the end of the day, I remind myself, you know, even though there's some impact by some of the laws and, and things that they're passing, I listen up here on, on Espinosa land, very, very little of that affects me, right? Unless I allow it to, unless I allow it to. And that's usually like a mental thing. It's not a physical thing. They're not physically, you know, Sleepy Joe's not out here physically knocking on my door trying to get me, you know, get every jab um, or, you know, pass his, his policies or whatever. But anyways, I digress. Melon. He, he just wants to sniff you. That's all. He wants to come up and get a little, <laughs> he wants a little Espinosa sniff, get his coffee yeah. and go on his way. Just let him do his thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's the challenge though, isn't it, Raph? It's the being true to yourself. And like being clear on your own values and what your own mission is, that is a really important part of it, you know, and like raising our kids so that they think these things, they have thoughts and they get clear on them. And, you, you know, the, you hope that you're able to hold on to those in those times when you're in that group and it's, it's having a trend away from the baseline. The other one is it can help you identify like organizations to join. You know, like, because you will have that conformity effect. You will be in that position where you will drift towards what that, wherever the standard part of that group, when the cohesion's high, you will find yourself in the middle of the bell curve, right? So getting clear on organizations before joining them, getting clear on what that corporate culture is or, you know, what the what the family vibe is at that local community sports club that you, you're looking to join. Like all of that stuff's really important. And, just a little one, like the rugby club here, a guy set it up a couple of years ago, Andy Goodman, and he just overhauled, overhauled the joint. 
And he downloaded the five rugby values from World Rugby, which are discipline, integrity, respect, passion, and solidarity. And they're really great things to teach to from, with kids. And to then have, an, have a, a values-based organisation, as opposed to other clubs I've been at where it's just about, you know, it's more about winning and, you know, if the ref makes a bad decision, people are yelling abuse at him on the sideline. I mean, that's pretty normal in sporting clubs, whereas this one is a bit different. And I'm like, right, I've seen like clubs I love and then I've got this one and it's different for a reason. And the, the reason it's different is it's open about its values. And I saw this in um, Silicon Valley on a tour a couple of years ago where the organisations that are these amazing startups, you know, they're at various stages of the curve, but the ones that are hugely successful have real buy-in from the people and they're really committed and contributing their, you know, more than just a, a punch the clock and go to work kind of people where these organisations are very, very clear about their values and mission and what it is that they're up to in the world and the people that they attract you know, young people now are looking for these organizations with values and and and, a, and an after something in the world. And it's really interesting to see a room full of people at some of these places. You know, there's one they send out scales, and people they get people to weigh themselves every day, and they have coaching online coaching groups. And it's a it's a health um, organization, and they get paid by the health insurance companies, and they're really really good at getting people to get on the scales and just to take control of really basic parts of their health and they give them coaching and you know they have group calls you know, online forum and stuff and like the people who work there are super motivated like they love what they do and you sort of get into that environment you think holy shit this is such a strongly positive group standard it'd be it'd be so cool to then just fall into that and conform to that you know and it'd be like an effortless get through your week and you'd feel really good about yourself so there's something in there of trying to find groups with values that align with your own, but you need to be clear on your own at the start. Mike. Really good points on, on both. And this kind of reminds me, I was thinking, I listened to it the other day. I actually like listening to it. It's uh, Admiral McRaven and he gives a speech to the university of Texas. I think it was 2014. If you haven't watched it, go check it on on YouTube. It's about 15, 16 minutes long, but he talks about making your bed and like bed. lessons learned and all that from, from his life and training. But uh, his whole topic is like, if you want to change the world and, you know, Raph, Raph mentioned it is like, you know, he's not worried about society and big government, whatever, but it does start with the, with the individual. So you could be in a community that conforms and everything's good. Uh, but then there's that one person that changes and makes the difference. And everybody in that group or circle notices that one person. So and McRaven brings up a really good thing. If you want to change the world, like how can somebody graduating from University of Texas change the world for the better? You start out with yourself. And if you're a good influence and you don't conform, like you conform for the right reasons and you don't conform for the right reasons and you lead by example, 10, on estimate, 10 people will notice you and want to be like you. Those 10 people will turn into, you know, they'll each affect 10 people, which is 100 and so on and so on, the ripple effect, right? And that's how you change a world. That's how you change the, from the smallest circle to the biggest circle. So like, you know, political leaders or community leaders or sports coaches, they don't just appear out of nowhere and they're like, oh, yep, you're the president, you're the coach, you're the mayor, you're whatever. It starts at like day one with a one person and, a, and slowly rises to effect. 
And that's why they take, they become leaders in their household, into the neighborhood, into the community, into the, the district, into the, you know, you can go on and up. So it's an evolving process to get it, but it really starts with that one person, you know, and, and it takes effort and, and constant reassessment of like, am I part of the right group? Am I conforming for the right reasons? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a conservative. So does that mean I just have to follow what everybody else does as a conservative? No, I don't have to do that. Uh, what do I believe and how do I want to become a leader within this or uh, coaching? You know, hey, I don't believe you should be coaching the team like this and inspiring these kids. I want to change my direction, you know, and have people conform to a new vision that w- that'll benefit. Go ahead, Melon. I think this is all really, it's interesting how this has come out to talk a lot about the individual, because I think that that is exactly what interests the three of us and while we have this conversation and while we keep talking together and sharing this. And there's, it's all about the individual victory, right? Like there is no, there is no group that's not comprised of individuals. And Stephen Covey, I haven't talked about him for a few, a few, a few episodes. You guys used to give me shit when I bring him up too often, but he really goes hard on the character ethic, which is like a pre World War II. It's like an old fashioned thing, you know. Your hard work reveals character and challenges and all that sort of stuff. Versus the personality ethic, which became popular in like the 60s and 70s. And that's like the fake it till you make it type. What's the trick? What's the technique? What's the, how do you ace the interview rather than how do you get in there and just share yourself with these people? So like a return to character ethic, it equips you to deal with life as it goes on. And hopefully people who grow up exposed to character ethic and they see good role models and mentors and stuff have that individual strength to resist when there's a negative uh, deviation in a group and there's a conformity in a bad way and they're able to stand up and then you have that 10 100 ripple effect but there is no fake it till you make it there's you know the whole i'll take a gap year and find myself it's like what do you mean you know you're like 18 19 years old you don't know anything you've you've you're not a you're not a person of immense value yet like you need to you need to create yourself. Like you need to get into something and push hard at anything to figure out yourself. Like it's not sit down and meditate. It is literally get in there and get your fingers dirty and bust a gut doing something and figure yourself out that way. You know, like create yourself rather than find yourself. You know, it's an individual effort and it's always, all these organizations are made up of individual people like Raph was saying. I think it's great. I think it's... Oh, go ahead, Raph. No, mine's just real quick. I was going to say, I think it's important to note too, kind of going off of what Melon just said, is that not everybody necessarily wants to be a leader, right? Like I, um, most of my career, I didn't really want to be in charge of anybody, but by default, we're kind of all leaders inside of our group, whether it's your home, whether it's a set of friends. Um, trust me, everyone's got some leadership role, even if you don't want it. And so I say that because I think that just as equally as that, everybody has the ability to influence whatever circles you're around. So again, I, I have a lot of friends that are, that are happy just kind of uh, being the great, the ulti- I call it the ultimate gray man, which is what Warren Officer Corps taught me how to be the gray man, um, which listen, it, it, it works. <laughs> but anyways, the point I'm trying to make is uh, I think it's important to understand that every, everybody has the ability to influence the circle that's around you, even you don't have to be Admiral McRaven. You don't have to be, you know, a senator 
a senator to a federal government. You don't have to be these, you know, I guess you can say leadership positions. Everybody has the ability. And so you need to understand that um, when you're running through life is that if you see something that you don't like, don't be afraid to, to be the voice. Because maybe sometimes by somebody not in the leadership position, specifically if you're part of an organization, if you, not, if you say something, I think it's almost that much stronger of a statement, right? Because if I'm contradicting, like, let's say that Mel's in charge of a group that I'm a part of. And, you know, for years, we've been listening to him talk about how we need to do this, that, or the other. And then suddenly he says something I don't agree with. And, I'm, and for the first time, I pipe up and I say, hey, Melon, I don't really agree with what you're saying. I mean, think about what that would do to the group, right? Suddenly it's like, whoa, Ref just piped up and he's never done that. So just, so I, I'm saying there's strength in that. It's just, if you're the ultimate gray man, there's strength. It's only one day when you're like, you know what? I'm going to say something about this. Believe it or not, your microphone, your megaphone is going to be that much louder because, you know, it's new. Yeah, Melon. One of the things that I've seen recently has been um, like groups of males and we can be friggin' gorillas when we're together with a much bigger emphasis these days on like calling out people who are behaving badly in the group, whereas perhaps that used to be more acceptable back in the day. Like I put on... Love Eddie Murphy, right? Comedian. Grew up in the 80s watching his stuff and just, man, I'd laugh until I cried. I put on like Delirious the other day and I literally could not sit through more than a couple of minutes of it because it was just a, a like the jokes, like something has changed and era has ticked over. And I would like to think that it will continue to, to progress such that like, men making jokes about a woman in a bar or people saying picking on a kid that the whole like that that becomes unacceptable and that that conformity might be not, not even an active conformity it could just be being quiet being passive and letting that one person make a joke and then everyone laughs like i've i've had conversation with my son about this at school like the person on the other side can have the experience that every single person there is in on it. And it's a, it's a group that are all against them. Like I used to get bullied when I was at school and I was talking with Michael about it. Just one person saying one thing in the middle of that group can snap the mood. And it can also let that person know that, Hey, this is, this is not a group behavior that's occurring here. It's one, there's one asshole who said something, but it's difficult, right? Like to, to, to have the, moral fiber to speak up in that situation. But I, I think that that's more normal. Like I, I would like to continue to encourage men to call each other out, you know, not laugh at sexist jokes and to try and, you know, have that behavior eliminate out of, you know, out of our society. But um, conformity, not necessarily passive, not necessarily active, but even just that passive stuff where other people can think, right, the whole group agrees with what has just been said. And just asking a question or speaking up or a simple, simple challenge, you know, can be enough to like break the spell. Yeah. But I think it's a good example too. And I know that we do it. So if you've listened to our show, we give each other shit, you know, we, we give Raph for being, you know, Brown and Mexican, 
but handsome. I, I will give him that. He just got his haircut. Everybody should see. He looks him. good. He looks sharp with that haircut, right? Like Cheza came in, she's like, "Ooh, look at ref's hair." Yeah, yeah. So he's got that going, that Rico Suave shit going on for him. And then you know, Melon's like this pale ass Australian in the desert that makes no sense, but he somehow he still is. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm a receding hairline, bald white man. You know what I mean? With my with my privilege. So like we we give each other shit all the time, but we know each other on a level that most people don't so like we're comfortable saying that and it doesn't mean like in no way shape or form do i hate these two uh some days i do no but uh you know like these guys know that i am not malicious in any sense of the word and i understand them and they understand me so like there are times and places where you can make fun of each other it's it's good to laugh at yourself it's good to laugh at your race because it most of the time it's true Right. It's true. And it's like, yeah, okay, this is okay. We'll conform to it for a night. That's why you go to a comedy show. You want to laugh. You want to escape reality. You want to make fun of each other. Totally fine. But like, you know, what Melon's talking about is just like every day where it's just like, dude, that's enough. Like now you're attacking the person. Like we, we, we sat with the kids and I really talked to them about this because they see the way that I'm with you two guys. I'm pretty much like that with my air force mates and my rugby mates, my army mates and schoolmates. And I've defined it for the kids that there's banter and then there's bullying. And the banter is there's reciprocation and it moves around and everyone gets a chance to be the butt of the joke and everyone gets a chance to have the witty one-liner and everyone laughs. Whereas bullying, you're singling out one person and they get it all the time and they're not allowed to reply. And there's ne- the strike never rotates to anyone else. You know, like there's one batsman at the plate the whole time. And that's a really simple way to look at it, right? Like, you know, I want Michael to and, and and Annie to know that this is in my society, my culture. This is normal to to give each other shit. You know, like if ever I get a straight compliment from someone, then I really know I really know they hate me. You know, like that's <laughs> it's you know like McCarthy. The first time you guys met McCarthy, the first just heavy banter immediately, right? Like straight out of the gate with that heavy Irish, you know, foul language, and just hilarious. I love it. that. That's my background culture. And in Ireland, they say, you know, criticism is the guy. He can take it, but he can't give it, you know, like flipping it on its head. But that's the thing, right? Banter versus bullying. That's a real distinction. And it can be a bit difficult for kids to pick, but you can define it. You can talk about it. Look, you know, hey, everyone was giving me shit. And then I said something and everyone had a laugh. So therefore, it's it's in group and there's no cruelty to it. And it's not singling someone out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, De- definitely a great example and of I think performing it's- or not. I think it's also, um, as far as, you know, comparing, um, com- com- comparing, sorry, I'm just lost train of thought, but comparing bullying with banter, I think the thing that's most obvious to, to me, because I'm kind of like you, Mel, and I've always kind of been part of groups where we just are always in jest, making fun of each other, but it's one of those things where everybody's free game. It's not like we're just picking on one person. You know, it might be, but that person has free reign to like fire back at me at all my like uh, inequities and stupidities and shortcomings, which I have a lot of. But I think the difference is, and this is really for any child who might be listening, is w- one of them is usually done with malice and the other one is done with love, right? So I, I make fun of my friends because I genuinely love you guys and I genuinely would do anything in my power to, to help you in the time of need. If you're bullying, you're doing it out of malice. You're doing it because you, you don't like that person. And it doesn't take very long to figure out which one is being shot at you or which one you're shooting at, at the other individual, right? Like it's, it's, 
it's a, it's very obvious, at least to me, I've always noticed it. Like, I mean, very few times am I like, mm, was that malicious? Was that like from a form of love? Almost always, I feel like for, at least for me, it's been obvious from, from, from the game. I'm like, ah, okay. I see where this person's coming from. There's definitely like a power imbalance when it's bullying and, and you can feel it. You know, I, I remember growing up as a boy, at the local tennis club on weekends, whenever it was sunny, so probably eight or nine months of the year, and watching we'd all play tennis and you know curse your brother out and stuff when he beat you, and we'll go off and have a sausage on the, the barbie, and all the dads would stand around and share. We call it a long neck in Australia. It's like a I don't even know how many ounces it is, but it's probably twenty four or twenty eight ounces. They pour each other a beer in a glass and very civilized, and there was banter, you know, and it's just like you can pick this stuff up and you can teach it and. Like, I think that there's a lot of tough uh, people are used to just having that edgy humor, like you're testing each other out. You're, you're checking how, you know, is this guy smart? Can he pick and can he receive? Can he throw the ball back to me? You know, and when you're, when you're good at it, you can get trust really quickly. You can get, yeah, where's this guy at socially? Where's he at in the humor sense? And is he the kind of guy that's going to have my back? Because you know that someone who's bantering with you, they're 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 less likely to be uh, sticking a knife in. Whereas the the opposite is, you know, when they're using a position of power and they're punching down and they're giving the same person is getting shit all the time. It's totally different. Conformity. So the degree to which something adopts the form of the things around it, and for people, it's you know the behaviour of the people around them is what we're talking about. We've talked about blind loyalty. Your group identity versus your own morals. Getting clear on what your own morals are. Integrity, doing the right thing even when no one's watching. One thing I was going to mention was your reputation and that we've evolved like Rafa's talked talked about for smaller groups, like sort of two, 200 people is like the historic size of groups that humans are in. So everyone knew you. And so if you were a freaking asshole, like everyone knew. And now we're in this massive anonymous, you know, internet People can be cruel online in that sort of anonymity. So it's always a bit weird. We're still figuring it out as people, but uh, that was an extra point. We're not all the same. The West, like that false equivalence, we're not all doing it. Like the West versus Nazism or Imperial Japan or Stalinist Russia, not the same. Subculture can have a normalized deviation that can lead to illegal behavior. And, you know, once you lose a moral high ground, you lose a lot. And we talked briefly about character ethic and personality ethic and, uh, you know, group behavior where particularly men can behave badly in groups. And it only takes one voice to cut, to break the spell. And hopefully we're raising our young people and we ourselves have enough strength of character to be able to stand up and, and break that spell. Is there any uh, further points you guys wanted to throw in here about conformity anything that didn't come up that you wanted to get out there, Mike? No more points. I think it's a good time just to put out a challenge and ask everybody individually to assess their themselves, their group, their job, like where they work or anything else. And just ask yourself, what am I conforming to? Uh, what doesn't align with my core beliefs or my character? And I'm still following it. I talk to people all the time, including family. I'm just like, I hate going to work because it's just a toxic environment, but I put up with it, you know? Ask yourself what you can do about it. Maybe you need to be the person that speaks up and makes the difference. Um, but yeah, that's this week's challenge is 
ask yourself what you're conforming to little or big scales and uh just give yourself that honest assessment maybe bring in your best mates uh somebody that you love and that you trust and they can give you that perspective that we've talked about and uh see if you made it make some corrections yeah, nice one how about you Rav? is there any uh thoughts that you wanted to add just before we wind up here not at all i felt like i mean this conversation could literally go on for hours and hours and hours over beer and there's just there's so much there to unpack um i think as far as i'm concerned i, I thought we hit some really good high points all right man well episode 88 conformity hopefully you guys have all got something out of it we love you guys uh stopping in and, and sharing a bit of your precious time with us if you want to hit us up you can leave a review or a rating not your average mike 77 not your average paul not your average raf at gmail.com and uh stand by over the next couple of weeks we're hoping to get some announcements out about some big changes that are coming so uh until next time take care <laughs>